Thank you once again for another taping here at 39 Drunken Disorderlies. I'm Giant Bob, and these are my co-hosts. <laughs> Giant Bob. I've never heard you re- refer to yourself as Giant Bob. I'm Giant you know, Bob. To my friends, I'm just Bob, but the giant part comes naturally, so I don't mind tacking it on there for you, okay? It works. I always call you Big, Big Bob. Bob. Do you refer Giant? Do you, you know, it, giant it doesn't Bob? matter, but it's just it's the description of huge, right? Huge Bob, Giant Bob, The Bob, whatever. It, or as long as you get the... As it could be like when, when uh, you know, um, little people, and you have, when they get called something, they're like, yo, don't call me that. So if we call you, like, big, it's like, yo, I'm, I'm a giant, okay? Like, back off. See, little people get touchy because they can't <laughs> do things. <laughs> big people can't do a lot of things without get touchy about it. We're just like, no, yeah, it's a privilege you get, you know? <laughs> Fuck it. Right, like you can't ride in a smart car, probably, right? No. Have you and tried? I, I can, but only, like... <laughs> You know, his legs in, industrial are vehicles. Are you making like, you know? fun of my automobile? We should just shoot <laughs> yeah. that. We should do. No, that. it's true. It's true. I got into an Austin Mini one time, but I had to get out through the skylight. Ridiculous. <laughs> I can drive like big trucks and SUV shit like that. Actually, uh, plug to Kia, but Kia makes a bunch of <laughs> random cars that have seats that go way back. So yeah, drive those too. It's just pretty cool. I drive a Kia, but I don't call it a Kia. I call it a Kia Guinea. Like a Lamborghini, but a Kia. You guys understand? I'm yeah. gonna look at my first note here. Yeah, that was um, great. Uh, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Redeem this. Uh, um, and so, dad joke. Speaking of which, on the mic we have. Uh, I'm Lars, uh, one of the co-hosts here, and uh, who's this? I'm Trevor, also uh, somebody who's here who talks and does stuff. We are the non-giant hosts of the show, just regular-sized people, right? What <laughs> yeah. were you? You're, I'm not. You're like six two. I'm six three. Six one. Yeah. I'm like. I'm trying to. Fairly big. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. The over six, <laughs> the over six well, club, small compared to six eleven. Right? I was gonna, I was gonna say it's okay. You can call yourself tall until you actually are. Then it's like, eh, okay, you're kind of tall. You're and half, you're half big. We are of course here at eighteen thirty <sighs> bar in downtown Toronto. And this is just a fantastic site. Once again, shout out to those guys. They're amazing. They're Thanks amazing. Do that again. Eighteen thirty. One more time for you guys. Yes. Eighteen thirty. Hit them up at eighteen thirty snack bar on Instagram. We're at nine Clarence, which is just south of Queen uh, King and Spadina. Swanky yeah. venue. Phenomenal nice. place. They take good care of. You're like in the heart of downtown Toronto, and you're off the beaten path, so it's nice. And if you're listening to this or watching this right now and you want to check out a live taping, come uh, every Monday to uh, Monday Fun Days. We do a stand-up show at 8, and then at uh, about 10 o'clock, we roll it over and we do That's this. Right. We right. walk over the mics and do a little late-night show, a little bit of talk show. Also, hit us up at 39DD Show. Very important. At 39DD Show on all, Instagram. All the updates that we're posting. People have been digging it, apparently. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And the podcast is uh, basically everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, not yet, because we're banking <laughs> six of these. But as of next week, they'll be on Apple, Google, Spotify, I think Podbean, SoundCloud, uh, pretty much everywhere. Testify! Yeah. We are going live. 
To the clouds. Yeah, yeah. So, the digital clouds. Again, what this is, we, uh, Trevor and I, happen to meet Big Bob here, where he was playing Andre the Giant in the live Princess Bride show. Shocking, huh? He told us these. A giant typecasting shit again. <laughs> <laughs> told us these crazy stories, and we were instantly like thirty. You've had thirty-nine drunken disorderlies. That sounds like the title of a movie. And then we're like, there's no way we're gonna fit thirty-nine drunken disorderlies into a two-hour movie. It's got to be a TV show. And then we're like. We don't have any money. We can't make a TV show. So this podcast is the first iteration of what is developing into a TV series. The purpose of the podcast is to uh, flush out Bob's crazy stories. Sorry, capture the dialogue and the character. Which will then script into a docudrama reenactment uh, that we hope to sell to Vice, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, whoever wants to give us money to make it uh, a real We could also be animated. Come on, guys. Come on down. We need right now. Listen for it. We're also looking for animators because there are points in in the cast, in the storytelling, that it gets quite... Um, imaginative, so we would love uh, some animations to go along with that to make it more enjoyable for those Instagram people who need something visual for their eyeballs. Because, you know, it's not enough just to get something for your ears. Yeah. Don't forget the eyeballs. The Sesame Street short attention span generation. <laughs> like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, attention's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get involved with 39 Drunken Disorderlies in any shape or form, then uh, hit us up and maybe we'll uh, do that. Especially if you want to sponsor the show. If you're a beer or alcohol sponsor and you're like, hmm, 39 Drunken Disorderlies, that sounds like a good thing to sponsor. Because we like beer. Yeah. I mean, we do. I mean, you know, Big Bob Beer, I just... And I guess technically they've already sponsored 39 Drunken Disorderlies. (laughs) They just don't realize it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it wasn't for beer, these stories really wouldn't exist, so... Thanks, guys. I mean... A lot of those uh, companies are, like, sort of... You'd almost call them accessory to your stories, right? I don't know. That's right. You know, you guys are already implicated. You may just as well put the money on the line. Well, isn't that a little bit what it is, where they, they sell you a bunch of booze in the fucking establishment... And then you go outside and you do some fucked up shit, and they're like, "Oh, and you're like, like you, you, you let me get this drunk. You let me let it's me true. get this drunk." No, it's true. It's, it's true. all their fault. I, I, an old an old bouncer saying is, "We sell liquid stupid by the gallon." So we kind of know that the shit's gonna happen when it goes down. It's like, oh yeah, there are drunk people here again. Well, of course there are. It's a bar. Like we got them drunk. Shit. What do you think would happen if Shit. bars? Who's who's taken smart serve before? Where you're actually told like the rules, like oh that that gentleman's slurring his speech, he's cut off, like, he seems to be wobbling. Could you imagine if bars actually adhered to that? Like oh oh yeah, would there if be you, anyone like a in robo- a bar? After yeah, if you had a robotic bartender who would absolutely every smart serve law was like programmed like the three rules of robotics. No one would go to bars. <laughs> You'd walk in and be like, have you had two servings today, sir? Um, yes. Please leave. <sighs> what? Or it's like a breathalyzer. Like, you gotta, yeah. bl- you gotta blow and, like, yeah. see how, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. That's hilarious, that actually. Would be great. Like the auto car starters. Yeah. All except just, like, get to the bar and the first thing you do is blow a breathalyzer and they just send you home. <laughs> like, were you pre-drinking? So everyone was pre-drinking. It's the bar. <laughs> The only people not pre-drinking were like asleep at the bar from the day before. Like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, every one of these episodes, we tell either one or two of Bob's crazy stories. We try and get some audience feedback. If you have questions for Bob, what it's like to be uh, six foot eleven giants um, in his daily life or drinking stories. It's amazing. And we sort of have a general discussion. One thing that we've always talked about: we don't want to just be glorifying booze because it has a negative. Uh, it has some negative side effects. It obviously fucks people's lives up uh, if it's not managed properly. 
But it also gives you some crazy, crazy stories, and we all love hearing your crazy stories. But we want to have a, also a real frank discussion about the uh, the downside to it and the detriment, so it's it's a real conversation. Yeah, did you listen to a couple weeks ago? We had a, uh, a pretty pretty uh, heartfelt episode, so we like to balance it out. So um, should, with that said, should we uh, you wanna engage? Want to get into it? Here? Yeah. All right. What do we so, got on the docket? So because it's uh, it's Mother's Day week, and whenever you guys are watching this, seeing it, it probably won't be, but because it is, uh, I figured I'd tell you my origin story. Because, you know, every every Utre Madman and Super has an origin story, and and mine relates to my mother pretty specifically. So <laughs> Makes sense. Origins. Yeah, weird. But I, I, So I'm going to go into that one tonight. Please do. Okay. Here we go. So buckle up. We always say buckle up right before he starts his story. So Probably a good idea for safety purposes. Everyone. Please, everyone, enga- engage your buckles here. in safety gear now. Okay. You must be this tall to ride. Six oh, as, as an anecdote, they actually have two sticks. So if you go to the park and they're like, "You must be this tall to ride," they have another stick. It's really dusty. It's in the back. You almost never see it. That is, if you are this tall or higher, this ride will decapitate you, so you can't <laughs> go on there. And that's not a joke. That's a reality. If you go next time, you're at a, next just for amusement fun. That's at, 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 at an amusement park, and you're standing next to a roller coaster. Ask the guy in the little booth, "Do you have the too tall stick?" And he'll he'll look at you for a second and be like, "Yeah, we never use it." And be like, "Can I see it for a sec?" And they'll pull it, and it's always dusty. Like they never use it. But a few times, like near me, for example, you'll walk up and be like, "I'm going on Top Gun," and they're like, "No, you're not." I'm like, "Well, I'm not going on Top Gun. It'll kill you." Oh, okay. So if you're little, you might fly out of the safety harness. Might. Might. If you're big, it will definitely. Ding! Like, you know what I mean? You'll take a girder at 95 miles an hour, and that's the end of that one, right? <laughs> little speed. little speed yeah, one That's the you. story of you. That's another. So when someone says to me, someone says, you must be this tall to ride. That's the first thing I always think about. Yes, but if you're this tall, fucking go home. <laughs> you're dead. Don't even worry about it. Like, it's over. I feel like if people can sue McDonald's for the coffee being too hot, you could sue roller roller coaster companies for Being not too small it's very sizest there yeah, i know but you know how hard it is to sue anyone for making things that are too small like almost impossible like, this airplane is too small they're like well i'm sorry sir you're just too fucking huge and that's the way it is and there's no sympathy for that like if i was a midget they'd give me like a motor scooter and like a television special about how sorry we are that you're small you know i'm like well man here's a pants line for you because you're really little right but if you're huge it's like wh- why didn't you just play football you could be a wrestler, you know, and wrestlers get all kinds of respect and they get their own planes. So they don't have to worry about planes. Well, I'm sorry, you're a candidate. I just wanted to go for on a vacation. Fuck you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, no, life. no sympathy. You call Ford and you're like, your cars are all too small. They're like, eh. And you think those bags of peanuts are small for us when he gets the small Which peanuts. They're extra tiny. Ridiculous. All right, we're going to get into this? Back Let's to do the origin. <clears throat> Buckle up. So, Basically, my, my, my trip down the rabbit hole into 39 Drunk and Disorderlies uh, began because I moved out when I was 18. And the reason I moved out when I was 18, my mother was extremely ill. She had uh, cystic fibrosis and liver cirrhosis. And so she was on a waiting list for a transplant. And my grandparents were living with me. And that was really harsh. Just because they're, they're great people, but very religious and, you know, very uh, straight-laced and, you know... They brought a lot of the old uh, guard mentality. Yeah, so old world world views and morality. And, you know, and I was just discovering, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And so the the combination of the two was a little bit... 
Oil, oil, water, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember a very interesting morning. I came downstairs, and my grandmother says to me, she's like, I heard noises upstairs. My, my room's in the attic of the house. I heard noises upstairs. I like, you were torturing somebody. And I was like, no, that wasn't what was happening. And my grandfather's kind of smugly looking at the table, like a little grin on the corner of his face, like, <laughs> but he won't say anything, because of course, grandma would kill him. And then my date from the night before comes downstairs wearing my robe, and she's like, oh, good morning. And I'm like, I didn't know they were going to be here. I'm sorry. Because I didn't. They just sort of showed up and left and came away. They had keys. My grandma's like, who is this? And I'm like, well, that was the, the person I was torturing to death upstairs <laughs> last night, grandma. And my, my grandfather sort of goes, <laughs> and she just looks at him, you know, and it's like, don't you, don't you encourage him. Oh, and I was like, man. okay, so I guess we're just going to go out for breakfast, see you later. Like, we you know, went upstairs, got dressed, and, and took off. But awkward moments like that started occurring with more and more frequency. And I realized that that was pretty much untenable. And my father and mother had divorced. So I tried living with my dad for a while. Uh, that didn't work out either. And eventually he said, said the only thing that kind of connected with my strange sort of drunken teenage brain, which was, you know, under my roof, under my rules. And to be perfectly honest, that's extremely fair. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not paying shit for this house. I'm here. Like, I don't deserve any rights to stake my claim, you know what I mean? I was like, okay, yeah, cool. So I'm moving out. And within like a week, I found a place with some friends, and I thought it was amazingly mature, you know, like, yeah, I've got my own place now. I'm going to be the rest of my life. I'm a superstar. I got this now. I'm gonna How old were you? Eight. I was 18. 18. 18. Uh, so 18. anyway, I don't know exactly how long I've been, I've been living on my own, but having a pretty good time of it, you know, working as a bouncer on the weekends and stuff. And I, I got the weekend bouncing gig again because mother was in the hospital a lot, in and out. And uh, I was at the coffee shop in the middle of the night in the hospital one night. And, I don't know, uh, an individual obviously suffering a bit of a mental breakdown kind of flipped out in the coffee shop while I was there and started attacking somebody else. And so I walked over and I, I separated the two of them and I grabbed the one guy who was obviously the problem. I'm like, you have to leave because I don't need this shit. Like, I need coffee and, like, relaxation. I'm here and my mom's upstairs dying and you're fucking beating some other guy up over, like, you know, a croissant or something. Like, just get the <laughs> fuck out of here. So I, I taught... what? A croissant. <laughs> croissant! Come on now. We're, we're bilingual in this fucking country. a crescent. We could say croissant. Croissantwich! Okay, just... All right? So... So anyway... I tossed the guy out, and it turns out the late shift guy working at the coffee shop was also a bouncer at a bar. And he saw me throw this dude out and was like, oh, shit, that, that giant guy, yeah, I can give him a job. <laughs> guy working, he's going to do his job. Never asked me how old I was. This is important, see. So anyway, I showed up at the bar, and uh, the little sketchy, half-Irish, half-native, alcoholic cocaine addict who ran the spot was like twitching. I was like, where's the new guy? There's going to be a new guy here. And I've been sitting in the back for half an hour reading, right? And the guy, Dave, goes, oh, yeah, he's right there. And I got up. By the time I walked from the back of the bar to where he was sitting at the bar, yeah, the head was doing the, the rotation upward. Ah. <laughs> I get to him, and he goes, you're hired. Like, didn't credentials, name, no. You're hired. <laughs> so I started working at this bar. I'm like, yeah, I'm making money on my own. I'm doing just fine, living on my own. Well, so that lasted about, I guess, six months and everything was going fantastic i was going to my buddy rich's place with a friend ken and rich we were hanging out walking on the street rich appears in a lot of my stories he's my best friend so is that rich you said yeah so that's a name you're going to hear again and again anyway i was crossing at a crosswalk it was rainy november night it's like 
three, four o'clock in the morning, you know, just a light sheen of rain, but cold enough that if you were, you know, wet, you'd really suffer for much it. Much right? like tonight. <laughs> yeah, much like tonight. Yeah, yeah. Except it was November, so Thanks you expect no it to be cold. Next right? November, May. Yeah, <laughs> Maybvember. <laughs> there it is. So anyway, I'm crossing this crosswalk, and this car runs the crosswalk. Goes right through, right in front of me. Like just screaming along. Man, pissed me right off. Had some headphones on. I was like, motherfucker. Almost killed me. Now, the mistake that I made was that I stopped in the middle of the crosswalk to fuck off the guy that just ran the crosswalk. And so the dude tailgating the guy that just ran the fucking crosswalk in his SUV ran me the fuck over. I mean, it hit, hit me like a... Yeah, I must have gone 60, 70 kilometers an hour. Blew me through the air like a fucking rag doll. I launched up onto the hood. My elbow went through the windshield. I cracked the fucking radiator block. I got blown 25 feet off the hood of the car. Did a fucking full flip and scraped my face off on the pavement. Ended up lying in the streetcar tracks on Kingston Road, ragdolled and broken. And my friend Ken goes, I think he's dead. And Rich is like, give it a second. <laughs> and, and Bob goes, <laughs> on the ground makes that noise. And Rich is like, nope, he's still with us. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh. you know, lying on the ground. And the rainwater sits a bit of a hill on Kingston Road in the streetcar tracks. The rainwater is just running down my back, right? And what so I start, I start going numb because it's November. It's freezing cold water. And there's all these weirdos, like people from the car, people from other streetcars and stuff, standing around me going, what do we do? What do we do with this guy? And I'm, I'm like, I'm going the first stage today. I'm like, nothing. Don't touch me. Go away. Go away. You know? And eventually, to let the streetcar go northbound, they move my legs and sort of pull me sort of into the other lane. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, please stop. They don't stop. You oh, know there wow. was people on that streetcar that were fucking pissed. Like, they oh, were yeah. like, fuck I'm that just going know. home. And this fucking guy decided to die in the road. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm missing Seinfeld right now. So anyway, so wait, when you flipped off this first guy, but the other guy was tailgating, so you just you, so the you, first car, but first you missed car, it, first or? car. Okay, this is me. This is yeah. the crosswalk. First car blows through the crosswalk. Yeah, I step one foot forward and I stop, and I'm like, "Fuck Asshole. you, buddy!" And the second car hits me. You didn't even see the second. No, car. No, I didn't see him coming. You hear that, kids? Always look for the second. So I wrapped around like my, my this foot, my one left stayed planted. And my other leg was sort of up in the air. So I rotated around the knee and blew everything inside that. just exploded. And, yeah, I wrote the truck off, tore off half my face. So when they say, if, you know, the saying of, like, oh, it feels like I just got run over by a truck. <laughs> this is literally what you would feel like. So Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, whenever people say that, I kind of look at them like, no, it's not. <laughs> and they're like, what does it feel like? I'm like, I don't know. Go dance in traffic. Let me know. Because <laughs> I tell you, it's not comparable. Like, oh, I'm really hungover. I feel like I hit by a truck. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> but you I can actually tell you, didn't break any bones. You no, I didn't. Like, I did not break any bones. I tore all kinds of muscles. Shit. And actually, that came back to haunt me, too. That came back to haunt me, too, because under the uh, Mike Harris government, the act they just placed through the insurance companies, if you didn't suffer any permanent life-altering injuries, which usually requires broken bones, stitches, things like that, you can't sue. So uh, That's why you can't sue in this I country. I got like yeah. an extremely minuscule... Uh, settlement plan package because I was working underage illegally in bars for cash. <laughs> so there was no like tax returns. They're like, well, this is how much money I made insurance company. They're like, how much money did you make? And I'm like, none. <laughs> They're like, say how much money you're getting? I'm like, none. <laughs> They're like, pretty much. 
So I was at home convalescing. Uh, basically, the first week I stayed with my, my dad, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even walk to the washroom. I mean, it was literally one of those situations where, like, I'm crawling on my hands and knees and fingertips trying to get to the bathroom because nothing would work. Legs, what, I couldn't get up the stairs. What hurts the most at this point? Uh, everything from the hair to your toenails. Everything. It's wow. like being broke on the rack, right? Your entire body's been stretched over the hood of the car. So I was black from my hip to, like, my shoulder on the one side where the car had been bruised up. Like I said, my face from here to there had been torn off on the asphalt. Ugh, fucking um, Harvey Dent over here. It was bad. It was really bad. And and the, the, the hospital's like, well, nothing's broken, so uh, here's some T3s. Oh, God. Go home and, like, you'll be all right. <laughs> they will wheel you out to the car because, you know, here you go. They're, like, in the parking lot, like, dumping out. The wheelchair is ours, though, so you just... Uh, <laughs> You'll be all right. Doctor from here's some, here, Yeah, here are some crutches that are like three feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this, you'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll be, it'll be great. It'll be great. And, and getting Boston. the x-rays, that was a lot of fun too. Getting the x-rays because the first orderly I had, I actually had to choke him. And I don't, I don't you know, it sounds really crazy. Like, I had to choke an orderly. Wait, yeah. Wait. Well, I did because people don't listen at all ever, especially when you're in excruciating pain. It helps if you choke them. That's just life lessons. <laughs> so I'm lying there. <laughs> near the x-ray table, right? And this one guy comes in and goes, well, I'm just going to, I need to take this x-ray of your leg, so I'm just going to straighten your leg out. And I'm like, no, no, see, like, I just got hit by a truck. Like, it's not straight because a truck hit it. It's not like I'm just sort of lazily hanging it there. Oh, it just lays like that. You know? No, like, it's bent because a truck hit it. Well, yeah, but if I just, please don't touch the leg. If I just do, no, but please with the leg. Ah! <laughs> I didn't really realize I had the guy until I had him. I'm like, you have to stop touching me right now because you're crazy and this hurts like you wouldn't believe. Please stop. Just Bart Simpson throttle. I just like, yeah, exactly. And this other woman comes in and goes, what's going on in here? I'm like, this guy's torturing me. Please make him leave. And she's like, oh, okay. So he leaves and I'm like, all right, I'll try and straighten my own leg. I'll try, but stop touching me. Like whatever it takes, less the touching, the broken legs and stuff, but don't do that. So that sucked. But getting home and, you know, convalescing, I got really lucky because my ex-girlfriend had a bunch of uh, leftover painkillers, like Percodans or Percocet or something from her, her surgery the year before. So she brought those over. That was the only thing that allowed me to basically ambulatorily make my way to the bathroom on my own, which was nice. Being able to walk down the hallway was a new thing, thanks to painkillers. What was the hardest daily... Like, thing that we take for granted that we do on a daily, what was the hardest thing? Getting out of bed. My mattress was on the floor. Starting the day. Yeah, my mattress was on the floor. And actually, standing up from being down that low was almost impossible for a week. Like, I'd have to grab the desk and just be like, and, like, try to... I couldn't... I couldn't... I couldn't... Okay, if I couldn't bend the leg, or it would just immediately flare like someone had been stabbed with an ice pick, Right. So trying to stand up with straight legs from basically a laying position. I mean, unless you're Bella Lugosi and kind of like pop out of the room like, <laughs> which I can't do. Well, it's can't. very, very yeah, difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. It's like He-Man Warrior just trying to like stand up on your dresser. That's the... What are your residual injuries? Do you still have issues from that, you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I have, there's a patch on my ass about six inches long that has absolutely no feeling to this day. Wow. Like, <laughs> wait, it's the wait. weirdest thing. How do you know that there's no feeling on that patch? Because, like, you can poke it. Like, I'm doing uh, it right now. Like, just like this. Okay. And so it, you get people poking your butt, and you're like, I don't well, no, it's like you, you, if you're sitting a certain way and you lean against something, you know, you, right. you'll feel it on your hip or whatever. Right. I, I won't until it's like my whole leg's asleep. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on that spot. Like, I move over a bit. I have that right here on my pinky. I cut it. Uh, on a, I cut it on a. I was slicing potatoes on a, one of them. Uh, yeah, one of those things. And I, you, you can't hold the potatoes close. And I just literally sliced off. And so you right learned that me. the hardest way. Touch me right there, Bob. Not a thing. Not I like how thing. his comparison is literally the tiniest, like, end of a... I'm smallest. just like you. <laughs> but my truck was a potato, and I did it to myself. <laughs> do, you, do you get traumatized doing, like, going on the crosswalks? Do you, like, no. step and you're like... Shh, shh. I do think about it sometimes. Actually, I think about it when I watch other people jaywalk. Yeah, right. I'm always, like, I'm always thinking, like, I'm always thinking, like I know it could happen to you. I know. Here comes the truck. Oh. And it could happen. It happened to me, sir. It could happen to you. And I survived because I'm a lot bigger than you. Like, if you go over and on the, get blown up on the hood, really, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, if you get sucked under, no, that's, you don't go home. Like, no. that's it. You're done, right? Well, yeah, that's the one thing. Like, you probably survived, but I, most humans would be obliterated. Well, again, like, my friend Ken thought for sure I was dead. And that's what he said to Rich. He's like, he's not going to be dead. Did anyone say, like, you, this might be a second chance or, like, this is... No, nobody said anything sort of cliche or shit like that. They're just but like, did it feel like that a little bit? No. Here's some shitty painkillers go yeah. home and suffer for a while. doesn't really feel like really a second shot. Really downplayed the, uh, the divine intervention. No. The, no, not at all. Just hurt. Were you, were you uh, 39 DD level and intoxicated? Not at all, actually. That's the best part. I was, like, stone fucking sober. That's what you get. For that's, what I, that's what I figured. I learned a life lesson there. I'm like, fuck that. If you're gonna walk around and get hit by shit. You better be wasted. So, anyway, so my mother's condition was deteriorating while I was convalescing. And can I, was, I uh, just press pause? Uh, I don't know that I know the definition of convalescing, and if I don't know it, that probably means some people in the audience don't know. Uh, does anyone know what convalescing means? Is that what it is? Okay, wow, it's a rare word. You have such good diction. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you. We do. We do usually have a word of the day on, like this. On the blessing, like heal. <clears throat> essentially, essentially, I was in recovery. Okay. So, I was fighting with my landlord at the time because he again he knew that my job was one of these weird like cash on demand and where's the money kind of jobs. And I said, look, I've got money coming in. Things will be fine. I'll write you some posted checks. Classic. When the settlement comes, because I'm you know waiting for the government to pay me the money they owe me. Then you'll get it. Like the check's already written, it's already agreed with the bank. As soon as money comes in, you'll have it. So I'm dealing with that on the one front, and I'm trying to make it to the hospital at night to see my mom because my dad was not in the, in the picture. They'd broken up, and my grandparents were doing day shift at the hospital. So mm. I used to go at night. And uh, as their condition got worse, and it was more like spending a lot of time in the intensive care in the EU and just sort of you know dealing with that. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't get down there. I was too crippled up, and I basically couldn't walk. So I knew she wasn't doing well at all. I knew things were pretty bad. But I, I couldn't do much about it. You know, and I, it was one of those things. You want so desperately to be there for someone else, but you hurt yourself, so you can't. You know what I mean? And, and it divides your time emotionally between trying to get better and also trying to be strong for someone else who's going through terrible illness, right? Well, and that could be this, the case... It, 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 not even physically, right? Like yeah. Some people just feel like they can't 
Absolutely. And stuff, but they want to they be there for other people. So, yeah. yeah that's Absolutely. Tricky. So, at any rate, she ended up getting her, her transplant, but um, there were some serious side effects and rejection issues, and she had a series of strokes. And I got called at home while I was laying in bed, basically too fucked up to walk, and the doctor was like, well, she's on life support, but she's probably not going to make it. And you, as the only next of kin on the registration list, have to decide whether you pull the plug or not. And I'm laying there, you know, fucking black and blue, half my face torn off, like thinking I have to do this on the phone. Like I was like, well, like it's like, here's your polling question. Do you do you know do you like Cheerios? Do you like you know Frosted Flakes? Uh, do you want to kill your mom? You know, like really, pretty impersonal, right? So. I knew that after all the, the injuries and the strokes that she'd, she'd had, that her mental capacity was essentially that of a five-year-old again. You know, like learning how to walk, use the washroom, all that stuff. And I, I just thought to myself, you know, that's not who she was. and That's not who she'd want to be. I mean, it was a level of degradation there for sure. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I, you know, I, I don't want her to suffer anymore. I don't, you know, I, I can't, I don't want that to happen. So just let her go, you know, let her go naturally, let her happen. And, uh... I'll always regret that, not making the choice, but having to make the choice over the phone and not being able to be there to, to, to do anything. I don't know, just to say anything. There were no last words. There wasn't any of that. You know what I mean? There was none of that shit. There was just kind of, well, it's over now, and you can learn to cope with that. Like, uh, click. Yeah. Like, okay. And then, phone then. Yeah, and then they hung up the phone. It was over. Like, the conversation was had, and... They were like, well, you have to sign some paperwork at some point, but right now, blah, you know, it's done. So I got the settlement from my insurance, and I got the settlement from her death benefits about the same time because the injury and insurance claims in this province are just fucking phenomenal, right? Right. It takes a really long time for that shit to process. <laughs> and uh, I guess the reason this is the origin story is because I needed a coping mechanism. I had to survive somehow. And I had basically lost... Uh, my moral compass, the center of, you know, wh who, who I was emotionally, right? Because she was always the one. My dad's the logistician. He's a lot more calm and collected and ordered. And my mother was always the one who was like, you got to feel life. You got to live it. You got to do these things, you know, experience emotionally. So, what yeah. Was your, what was your mom's name? Uh, Hika. Say again. Wow. Hika, it's a Dutch name. Hika? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so... For a while, it was pretty close. It was pretty close thing, whether I was going to make it or not. Just to, I, I knew I was like right on the ragged edge, you know. And I started drinking very heavily, just at home. One of those things you wake up in the morning, roll over and grab the sixty pounder of whiskey and just start drinking before you even try and get out of bed, because frankly, what the fuck? What difference did it make? I had a lot of money. Like I, mean, I guess I was like ultra poor guy, rich, but I had like you know. Yeah. Couple tens of thousands of dollars kicking around, and I was like, I'm gonna spend it all on killing myself, just going mental. So, you know, I made a lot of bad spaceman life decisions, had all kinds of loose and fast relationships, and uh, spaceman life. Yeah, bad spaceman life decisions. You know, because when you're when you're completely spaced out and just sort of in free fall, you you make, uh, you make some interesting choices, right? So, that sort of kicked off the entire behavioral trend 
that became you know the stories of 39 Drunken Disorders. I mean, really, it was sort of the, the turning point. You know, and I, I tell some stories sort of before this period, but really the defining characteristic, I mean, it's what turned me into a bouncer was her illness. It was what prepared me to sort of be the, the, the gruff uh, you know, nightlife figure that I have become. Uh, it also kicked off a period of uh, drinking, drug use, and debauchery that I don't think most people have ever experienced just because, again, you kind of have to be riding the ragged edge to go there. It's not one of those things you just, well, you know, I'm just going to experiment with every drug no demand because it's good for you. And that's not the choices you, ma you make. You make these choices because they're the only thing you have left. It's like, you know, I, I, thought, I thought that it was it. It's like, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter anymore. Tomorrow's just another day of pain and suffering anyway, so let's just fill it with all the fun things we can find. And those fun things come in a bottle or a baggie or a, you know, what have you. That's where they come from. You know, if it's wearing cheap lipstick and bad pumps, that works too. Like, let's just go for it. Like, bad spaceman life decisions, right? It's like escapism. And Absolutely. What nihilistic escapism. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, the decision that nothing matters, so it doesn't matter what I do. And in fact, the, the more you punish yourself for the, the sins either perceived or real, the more you become that sort of... Uh, nihilistic hedonist you know you just every pleasure has to be all pleasure all the time instantaneous right all of it and that defines you and after a while that becomes i mean everyone knows you as that party guy you know, having three four parties a week people coming to your house it's like, oh it's that guy in the bathrobe with the cane <laughs> you know what i mean it's like he's always got a bottle of whiskey in his pocket and like he's the greatest fun and they don't really know the reason you're the you know guy in the bathroom with the cane drinking 24 hours a day you know and having a couple hundred dollar a day drug habit is because you're living on the ragged edge. Like, yeah. you're not even there, really. And that's the point. You're not even there. Mm -hmm. So when Trev was saying earlier, you know, we, I, I'm not trying to glorify um, alcoholism or drug abuse or, or, or madness or, you know, sexual debauchery or any of these things. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell people my life stories and the realities of that. You know, and sometimes it gets lost. I think it does. It really gets lost on people when I tell these stories that they're not about heroics. They're about the realities of it. And so, yeah, a lot of these stories are a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of those parties were great. I never had, I mean, I met some amazing people. I've had some unbelievable times. I've seen some things that most people never would. But again, I want it to be understood. I think it's important that fans of this podcast who know me or understand what I'm saying when I tell these stories know that it all basically started because uh, a young man jumped out in the world a little too early, maybe, and got kicked in the teeth really hard and decided to walk around with broken fingers, picking up his chiclets, going, okay, until he you know, learned how to function as an adult, right? And so, and I still probably haven't figured that out. I mean, shit, I'm 37 years old. How the fuck do you function as an adult? What does that even mean? I don't think anyone fucking knows that, honestly. I mean, you look, you look at our grandparents and, and, and their grandparents, and they just did the best they could. They all had kids, and they were like 15 years old. And like, you know I mean, what the fuck do they know about being adults? I don't think anyone does. I think we find out who we are as people. We pretend that that matters. We pretend that being mature is somehow going to change us into someone we're not. When the truth is, you're always going to be you. And I'm always going to be that scared boy on the phone talking to some impersonal doctor saying, yeah, let her go. I mean, you have to let her go. It's, it's cruel not to. You have to. Right? And I'm also always going to be the guy that lived through that. 
I didn't die. I didn't. I mean, I thought I was going to for a while, but I didn't. And surviving it not only made me stronger in some ways, but also made me aware of the fact that I did survive it. And I don't know if that means anything except that knowing you were this close to the ragged edge, but you didn't go over can be personally empowering, right? It can wake you up too. So, so I don't know. That's my Mother's Day story. Happy Mother's Day, guys. <laughs> cheers, to, uh, Sorry about that. cheers to Mama Malcolm. Uh, so I have a question is, uh, obviously you've lived through it. You've, thought about it uh what would you say to your 18 year old self now who was on that brink or obviously thousands if not millions of people right now are going through crazy fucking shit in their life and their solution or answer laying in front of them is booze and drugs and all this stuff that not necessarily is is a great solution but if you were to what would you say to that kid or well once kid? again i'm gonna have to quote hunter s thompson on this one i'm not advocating sex drugs and rock and roll for everybody but it's always worked for me so what I'd say to my 18-year-old self is what you need to survive is what you need to survive. It's a crutch to lay on sometimes. If it's, you know, a cross to bear or if it's a bottle to drain, if that's what it takes to live through it, that's what it takes. Keep, keep the perspective. You know what I mean? Remember that it's, it's not going to rain every day. It's not always bad. But at the same time, if you need a crutch and you need something to lean on and you don't have it, far be it for me to judge you for taking it, you know? I'm forgiving of people who've had their problems, you know, and sometimes you ride the horse and sometimes the horse rides you, and that's the difference, right? Mm. You know, you can do drugs, you can party like a maniac, you can drink like a crazy person, but if you don't find any perspective at the bottom of the bottle eventually, it'll eat you. I mean, that's it. You'll fall into the mouth of madness, and it'll eat you, and that's just the way of it. Do you feel like you figured it out? I think I, got, I think I got lucky. I think I did. I think I got really lucky. I think I figured it out, but just barely, you know? And that's why I can tell these crazy stories, because I was, I was right there. I figured it out just in the nick of time. I mean, I did the drugs. I partied as hard as anyone can. But at a certain point, I realized it's time to just sort of, wait a sec, going to take it back just a notch. Was there like a major turnaround moment, like maybe one instance? No, or? I don't think there was. I really don't. I don't think, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure that happens for some people. But for me, it was just a slow, I don't know, weaning process. It was like, yeah, instead of drinking, you know, Every night of the week, super heavily. It was let's drink three nights of the week, super heavily. And that was like maybe one night of the week, maybe only on the weekends, or maybe you know, pick your poison, right? Or uh, my personal favorite is your sober job where you don't drink at work. Ex yes, exactly, exactly. Having a, having a job where I go to uh, this is my day job where I don't drink, <laughs> right? And then it's like well, here's the two night jobs where I do, but then there's the you know yeah exactly. You fill those places, right? I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think it was ever a turning point where I was like, "Hmm, hmm. this has to change." Yeah. Audience question: Were you or are you an alcoholic? Um, I certainly was. Am I? I don't know if you're ever not. That's that's. I guess that takes wiser men than me to know. I never went to meetings, but uh, absolutely. For a, for a goodly period of my life, I was extraordinarily dependent on, on drugs and alcohol. I mean, just for, I guess, daily routine. So, and... Mm. question was, what advice would you give to people in that Yeah, situation? what advice would I give? And what, to people who, who thought they were an alcoholic or needed a way to, to judge that? 
Well, recognizing, I think that's actually the easy part. And I think most people will tell you they don't know that they're like a serious drunk or what have you or just lying because, I mean, sorry, like you, you wake up in your bathrobe in the park across the street more than once. <laughs> you know what I mean? You like, sir, there's like, when cabbies are like, no, I know you, you can't take this cab. You know, the local bus depot is like, ah, you can't sleep here anymore, please leave. Like, you so know. The signs start showing up. Yeah, you know what's going on. Like, I, I would argue that, I would argue that it's the self-denial that's the, that's the problem. Most right. people refuse to look at themselves in the mirror and see who's actually there. So does it take someone prodding or? No, no, I don't think so. I think, I think it's yourself. Like I said, I've never had that problem. I get up, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, look at that drunken piece of shit. I knew full well. I'm like, I'm standing there, the rings out of the eyes, the bags, the whole deal, like drugged out, fucking drunk as fuck again. And I knew it. I you always knew it. You always said that. You always, you always were aware. You're like, this is this choice, and I'm making it. That's right. I'm doing this. That's the other thing. I think, you, like I said, sometimes you ride the horse, and sometimes it rides you. Well, I choose to ride, not be ridden. Yeah? No. Um, one, I don't think I don't think recovery is the right word. I don't like when people use that word for alcoholics because frankly, don't recover. The the things that make you an alcoholic are usually your life, and you never recover from your life. So your life either either gets better, and you have less reason to do the idiotic things you used to do, or your life stays the same and you have no reason not to. So I think that people who who have that that compulsion to drink because it's there are different from people who drink because they're sad or drink because they're really depressed or drink because they're nihilistic, right? I think that's a different disorder altogether. And I'm not sure how to describe that really in, other, in better terms, but if you're just drinking because alcohol is alcohol and you love it, that's something else. Um, I can have a beer with dinner, like eat a steak and not think twice about getting wasted. In fact, I can work all night and have you know five or six drinks and that's it. Go home, no big deal. You know, other nights when I want to go out and party, I can drink all night, get wasted with people. And the next day, it's like, well, I don't feel like drinking today. It's not a big deal, right? Um, with the drugs, I basically don't do drugs anymore. I smoke a little bit of pot now and again. But uh, the drug thing was just a matter of, again, I'm not a, I don't have addictive personality. So I could do anything, you know, ecstasy, cocaine, whatever, and just say, well, I guess I'm not going to do that again anymore. Or I don't need that anymore. Or I don't want that anymore, right? Um, so no, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. In my experience, it hasn't been that kind of a fight. And it wasn't like I had to climb that hill. It was like, well, I just don't need to drink every day like an idiot, so I won't. You know, and may, so maybe, I th maybe there are people out there, and I, again, I can't speak for them, but maybe there are people out there who can't ever touch it again, and I've heard that. I have heard that. Well, and we know the people, too, where they, the behavior changes drastically. Like, you have a friend who's whatever, and then... They get out and they've had, then all of a sudden they've got three to five drinks in them and they've just they're just a different person. But that's the other thing. I'm not I'm not particularly different. Right here, you know, I'm not particularly different when I'm drunk or sober, right? That's the other thing. Like if I'm really wasted, obviously, of course, like everyone else, you know, you're really wasted. That's different. But my personality doesn't actually change that much. I'm not I'm not I don't I don't do anything more stupid per se than I would do already under the right circumstances. Like, oh, hey, man, I dare you to do this. And I'm like, stone sober. I'm like, no. He's like, double dare you. No. Triple dog dare you. And I'm doing it. <laughs> Maybe just a little, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. For so many various reasons. Yeah. Recap that uh, yeah. comment. Yeah. You're saying you have anxiety, and it's difficult. It's difficult. Well, with the narrative today of mental illness, it's a lot easier for people to talk about the traumas they've suffered and the, and the, and the pain it is to, to, to deal with that. There's a more open door. Than absolutely. But you're absolutely right, though. You're absolutely right. It's important. It, I mean, that's they always say that, part of recovery, right? You have to accept it. You have to own it. It's got to be yours. Well, it's like even when you're physically ill and you're like, no, yeah. I'm good, I'm good. And then sometimes you got to be like, no, like I need to shut her down. for. That takes, I'm going to take a week off. Yeah. yeah. Admit that I'm like run down. I'm not right. going to the office with pneumonia again. I'm just not doing it, you know. I, I mean, your coworkers thank you, but. I think further to the comment or question about um, like people about uh, whether or not they have to stop booze altogether. I think there's a difference. And one way to think about it is I feel like some people, alcohol is the problem like alcohol was introduced to them they became addicted to it and their life went to shit then there's other people where alcohol was what they thought was a solution to right. other problems it was the placebo they poured yeah, on their problems relationship problems or family problems or just like general mental issues or yeah i think that's true too or whatever and then they they have those issues so they're like i need some medicine to fucking numb myself out and get away from that shit and then they turn to alcohol and then that maybe makes their life worse. And then there's other people who just, if you just remove the booze or alcohol or drugs from their life, then they wouldn't have those problems. Yeah. Sure. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. We live in a culture, though, that sort of trains us to binge. Yeah, I was going to say, I, bin, like, binge drinking well, is more no. of a socially acceptable behavior than ever before. You, I mean, can't, really. you can't be in college or university and not be exposed to, like, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. What are we doing? We're doing shots. We're doing beer pong. We're doing this. And, well, and just, yeah, just the popular culture of alcohol, though. I mean, look at any, any of the movies about going out. People, like, you go out that one night and you drink, like, you drink your fucking face off and woo! Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We'd walk outside, and we'd see joggers and we're like fucking losers, and then we realize that we're the fucking losers that are like blackout drunk. And it's almost sun up. Making fun of people that are doing their jobs. <laughs> That's being like assholes. And yeah. We're like, oh no, we're the assholes. What? what <laughs> I love the getting on the streetcar with the school age children. It's like Monday, and you're like get on the streetcar and you're, you're sitting there and you're just, you're, you're wasted. I mean, wasted. Reeking a booze, staggering around. And you look around, and there's all these like little kids. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? It's got to be like 4 o'clock in the morning. And you check your watch, and you're like, oh, shit, it's 10.30 in the morning. Oh, and it's like a class trip. But we're going to the science center. Oh, yeah. I was just there. It's a pretty cool place. See I, you, see I am a science experiment. You know what I mean? I woke up in Minneapolis on a... Uh, on a like a park bench on the sidewalk uh, at like 7.30 a.m. I was there on a business trip. We, we were raging all night till like 4 a.m. Got like shot, 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 shots, Jagger bombs all night. And then I'd leave the bar, wander home, and at some point, I guess I passed out. Woke up at like the crack of 7.30 to exactly this. Downtown Minneapolis, everyone's going to, to work, walking by in suits, and I'm like clearly like... One hairy eyeball. Recovering from a night... And I remember, I'm like, my phone is dead. I don't know where the fuck I am. We were on a business trip, so there's a bunch of us at a hotel. I don't know which direction is which. 
And then I'm like looking around and then I see the H for the Hilton way off in the distance. And it was just like the bat signal, like there is the H and I just see this big blue H. So I just started walking like a zombie. Turns out it was the hospital and you were okay too. (laughs) (laughs) Then they pumped his stomach and he found the hotel. Right, right. No, I just went to the conference and I joined the 9 a.m. sessions an hour later. You got those like cartoon bubbles around you, just like. It's crazy. Um, so we should uh, we we got some audience questions in. We should probably uh, bring this to a close here. We'll wrap this final up. Uh, parting words. Uh, maybe the the final parting words of uh, hit us up at thirty nine DD show. Yeah, yeah come check it. us out, man. We love it. Thirty nine DD show at thirty nine DD show. That's us right here. And we should also say, uh, let's raise it up one more time for uh, not only Bob's mother, but all of our mothers. This is Mother's Day. Weekend. Yeah, happy Mother's Day, guys. Still those mothers out there, and those of you with mothers, which is every fucking buddy. All Kiss them, hug them, where you got them. Hold them where you got it. Someday you won't. Say your love,